morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Man, I don't even have to ask for it again. Amen. That's good. Uh, if you don't know, um, my name is Sean, uh, and uh, I have the privilege of serving here on staff uh, at the Hill. Uh, thankfully, get to work with our students, um, and it's been a joy thus far. Um, yeah, just trying to, to make it happen um, with them and lead them to Jesus and, and lead others that don't know him uh, to our Savior. Uh, but this morning, we are going to be continuing through Hebrews. Uh, so we have been, uh, if you don't know, going through the book of Hebrews. Um, and this morning, we'll be in specifically Hebrews 6. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, please grab one. Uh, there's also one uh, Bible's made available to you under the seats. Um, take that. Flip to Hebrews 6. If you need some help, surely somebody around can, can assist you in getting there. But throughout Hebrews, at least up until this point, uh, we've seen uh, the author speak of a few things. So one, we've seen him speak of the supremacy of Christ, his rule and reign over all things in heaven and on earth. Uh, we've seen Jesus described as greater than Moses, as well as the great high priest. Uh, then more recently, we spent some time seeing the warnings from the author given to the believers to battle apostasy, which is, um, in essence, uh, you know, willful falling away. Um, and, and what they've been falling away from was the true faith of Christ Jesus and the gospel. So following up with one of the weightiest warnings in Scripture towards the, the front of chapter 6, the author provides some encouragement. So we see that in verses 9 through 12. He speaks of better things, right, to all those who have full assurance of hope until the end. And so Pastor Jimmy, last week, he helped us see the author's heart behind this encouragement, specifically in those verses, right, 9 through 12, for the believers then and revealing to us also that uh, his main point, right, was by embracing proper confidence in Christ, we too can possess full assurance of hope and perseverance to the end. So this morning we'll lean even more into this full assurance as we uh, have by way of a hope that we know is unfading and it's undefiled and it's imperishable. So if you've hopefully uh, found a Bible, you've gotten to Hebrews 6. Um, and again, we'll be in 13 through 20, but I actually do want to read uh, 9 through 12 again because it all connects and it's all super rich. So this is the word of the Lord. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. And so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it. With an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, you're good. It's through your son, by your spirit, we ask for you to make your word beautiful to us this morning. Lead us and teach us for your great glory and our true good, God. We ask that you would tune our hearts to the tone of your voice because we need you and we want you. And it's in these things that we pray. Amen. All right, you guys, so a well-known writer by the name of C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief in Christian doctrine nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. Do not most people simply drift away? Family, what I believe he's getting at is just how important it is for us to do something we're asked to do as a children all the way through old age. He's getting at the importance to remember. He's getting at the importance to remember. And so this practice of remembering is something we see all throughout the Bible. And remembering is far more than a mental recollection, right? But a biblical remembering involves emotion and desire as well as thought. And so it's something that doesn't only touch on the past, but remembering also articulates with the present and the future, helping us to connect previously acquired wisdom to current and future decisions. And so this is why we see this call to remember or be reminded of within the scriptures. So the Apostle Peter, in his second letter to to the believers, right, of chapter 3, starting uh, started it saying this way, right, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, In both of them, I'm I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So the the Apostle Paul, right, we often know him to say, man, do you not know, right? He's saying that because he's wanting his readers to remember For it was also remembering that sustained God's people in the 400 year silence. So when you think of the Old Testament and the the New Testament, the the gap, the timeline between that is about 400 years. 400 years go by, right? But yet even through that, man, God's people, what are they called to do? They're called to remember what it is that he's already said, lest they forget all that the Lord had done, right? So I heard it said, When Satan cannot make you bad, he makes you busy. When Satan cannot make you bad, he makes you busy. So in the lives of God's people today, Satan is having a field day by killing, stealing, destroying, by way of making people busy. And what tends to be the result of this busyness are hearts that become distracted, which leads to forgetfulness which is followed by separation, and then we are caught believing lies more than we are believing the word of God. 
Family, what is making you busy? What is distracting you? And what's causing you to be forgetful? And more specifically, what is robbing you from remembering the life-giving promises of God? So whether it be 400 years, 10 years, two months, God is always active in the silence. And he's never not at work, even when it feels like he's been quiet towards us, right? What he's saying is don't grow impatient because I, I haven't given you a new revelation. Instead, be patient in remembering what I've already said. Because it's these words, right? These words will hold you fast and fill you with assurance of hope until the very end. So last week we learned that taking hold of this hope requires us to daily become imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So in other words, remember the faithful ones that came before you uh, who came to love, right, the object of their faith. So as the great man of faith in Abraham did, right, we too must daily, and here's the main point, and remember the irreversible words of God's promise and hold fast to our sure hope found in Christ Jesus. Again, it's remember the irreversible words of God's promise and hold fast to our sure hope found in Christ Jesus. So verse 13, the author exhorts his readers to inherit the promises through faith and patience in verse, sorry, verse 12, right? We see that in verse 12. And now he wants them to consider the nature of the promise and the infinite faithfulness of the one who made the promise to Abraham. So he wants them to remember the promise that was made to Abraham, mainly because God's promise to Abraham is is, a central theme that we see all throughout Genesis. It pushes uh, the storyline in the first five books of the Bible and throughout all of Scripture. And so it's through God's promise to Abraham that the whole world, right, will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. And so from the New Testament, we see that Christ himself, and he's the one through whom these blessings given to Abraham becomes a reality. So a quick summary of the story, yeah, I'll give a quick summary of of Abraham's story, right? But in essence, right, Abraham was a man seasoned age uh, of 100, wife Sarah seasoned age of 90. Uh, They're promised a son at that age, right, who they're to call Isaac, and it'll be through him that his covenant, or through God's covenant that he promised, right, is going to go forth. So then God tests Abraham by asking him, man, I need you to sacrifice your son, And in faith, Abraham obeys. And he obeys God by moving forward with sacrificing his son, right? So he gets the things needed, starts climbing the mountain, um, and in obedience, that's what he he ventures off to do. I mean, it's Abraham's faith, right, that proves to to be steadfast because even, even in his journey up, he knew what God had promised him. And so in the scriptures, it says that, man, we're coming back. We're going up. Me and Isaac are going up, but we're coming back. So in faith, he knew that even if he had to sacrifice his son, he believed that God could resurrect him. So Abraham gathers what he needs, right, goes up the mountain, ties up Isaac, is getting ready to sacrifice his son, and then God intervenes. God tells Abraham, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And God miraculously provides a sacrificial ram in a bush for Abraham, Instead of his own son, quick side note, right? It's in God's nature to provide what he requires, always. And so we see this, right, in the gracious sacrifice of the ram. God provides and then 
Uh, Our account in Hebrews highlights what God says in Genesis 22 following one of the most dramatic and difficult tests in Abraham's life. The Lord says this to Abraham. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so the intent. Sorry, the intent behind the author of Hebrews here is to he's emphasizing right, the certainty of the promise. So God took an oath to certify the promise to Abraham, and when he did this, he affirms the truthfulness behind his words by swearing to himself. Why? Because there's no being greater in size or importance or degree than God himself. Right? So when a president gets sworn in, he states the oath, and then it's generally concluded with the words, so help me, God. What the author is getting at is, it'd be like God proclaiming, I swear on myself, to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me, me. It's crazy. It's because he's the definition of greatness that no one has nor can surpass him, and he couldn't swear by any higher being. And then in verse 15, there is a slight pivot right in the flow of the author's argument. He says, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited... Right. In other words, right. To be even tempered while enduring trying circumstances, he obtained the promise. And we see Abraham's response confirming that he obtained the promise because he was patient. And this is what the author was getting at when he said in verse 12, right, to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And Abraham was patient, not out of his own will and strength, but because of the irreversible words of God's promise. His faith was rooted and recognized in the word of God, and it's what God said to him that fueled his patience. It was roughly 25 years that Abraham had to wait before obtaining the promise. And in those 25 years, he endured the trial all the while, remembering the promise his God had made to him. And church, we are to do the same. Right in our waiting, we remember his words of promise. For his promises, right, are trustworthy because he is. Family, his promises, they're trustworthy because he is. And who got his grounds, our hope, right? And what he promises. Family, he's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. Is your remembering, moving, right? Moving you to faithfully trust in him. And not only the things that you want to release over to him, but in everything. When God makes a promise, he will not reverse on his word. Verse 17, follow me in your Bibles, right? So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So in other words, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that that he would never change his mind. And then in verse 18, so that, right, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have 
fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And so what we see here is the importance of God taking an oath. An oath being a solemn promise, usually invoking a divine witness. And it often includes penalties for failure within the contents of the oath. So we use oaths to back up statements uh, because the promise of a human being isn't always reliable enough for trust. For as long as I can remember, yeah, whenever I would come to my mom about something uh, that was promised to be my promised to me by someone else, she would always say, "Did you get that in writing?" Like, no, you need to get that in writing. Okay, it's like clockwork, actually. But why does she say this? Because just in case, right? They went back. On their word, I had it in writing, sealed with a signature, that you should uphold their word, right, that they made, that they should uphold the word that they made. Right? So oaths by nature are signals of certainty and finality. And so for those serving in the military, right, you know what it means to take the military oath of enlistment or the military oath of office, affirming to support, defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and it continues on, Right? And so oftentimes an oath confirms, it approves what is spoken and thus resolves what is disputed. And we're aware that human beings have the chance of lying even under oath. But the author of Hebrews doesn't focus in on that detail here in the scriptures. The point he's revealing is that God's oath, God's oaths are of a different character and nature. And God moves from simple promises to an oath and this oath is based on himself. And it's not because his word is weak, but because we are. And in his kindness, he is gracious and patient with his children. It's of grace that God would desire to show more convincingly and to to prove, to demonstrate, to display, to reveal, and to drive home this very important point. Our hope is secured. He secured our hope with double infiniteness, right? The text says two unchangeable things. What are those two things? They're the promise of God and the oath of God. And it was God's use of an oath that supplied evidence. No one could doubt. His oath is given to confirm, right, the certainty of the promise. And it's this that is the bedrock and basis for our sure hope in Christ. The author then can't get any clearer by following up with this firm and undoubtable statement, right? It's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And his word alone is sufficient for faith since he doesn't deviate from the truth and he never will. He never will. And it's from this that the recipients of this letter can have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before them. And this hope he spoke of wasn't some intangible truth unrelated to life. No, family, this hope he describes is it's packed with certainty. It's packed with Certainty. We often hear or sometimes use the word, right, hope in ways of uncertainty and in times of worry. Pastor Jimmy referenced, right, a a fingers hope, eyes cross, you know, type of hope, right? However, this couldn't be any further from the way the author is describing hope in these verses. Pastor Jimmy touched on this last week and gave us a, a thorough definition, right? But he defined it in this way, a confident expectation of glorious things to come. Hope defined in this way is what the author is encouraging his readers and us today to hold fast to. And another way to describe it 
it is this, right, to remain firmly committed to this confident expectation. And with this confident hope, the author continues to elaborate on the certainty of this hope that is assured to believers. He says in verse 19, right, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. I hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We've already seen that this hope mentioned is solidified because it's founded on two unchangeable things, right? God's promise and God's oath. And because of this, God leaves us no doubt that he will uphold his promises. And the language the author uses here for his audience, it's, it's an anchor that is sure and stable. He wants them to see that in the same way a heavy device known as an anchor is used to keep a sailing vessel from moving. It's the same when we think about right this hope that they now have that is to be an anchor for their souls. And it's to be their hope and stay for their entire being. Right, This hope enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. The author here is referencing Leviticus 16, where we see the Old Testament practice of the high priest. So on the Day of Atonement, which happens to be the only day in the year, the high priest, he would go into the place uh, in God's temple called the Holy of Holies. He'd enter to make atonement for his sins and the sins of others. And so the author's intent here, he's basically trying to give further insight of this hope they now possess. Right? It's like an anchor that is dropped, not in the water of the sea, but it's carried into the Holy of Holies. It reaches within the veil, thus bringing followers of Christ into contact with God himself. And so Christ, right, as the high priest, entered God's presence, offering his own blood, securing our access to the heavenly Father. He is our forerunner and trailblazer into God's presence. And because of Christ, right, we can proclaim, I'm with him. As we enter into the presence of God, he graciously leads us in with him. 2 Corinthians 1.10, right, words it wonderfully. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And with even more assurance, verse 20 and 22 of the same chapter, the Apostle Paul reminds us, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. He has put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Last week, Adrian and I, we, we watched a singer on TV uh, called Adele. If y'all have ever heard of her, maybe if y'all watched it, but it's a phenomenal performance. Uh, she did, in line with this performance, an interview with Oprah Winfrey. I'm sure y'all know who she is, Right? Um, and in this interview, Oprah, Oprah asked a, a, a specific question to, to Adele around the lines, I don't remember it word for word, but it's around the lines of, right, at the end of the day, what is it that you truly want? And her response immediately was peace of mind, peace of mind. I believe her answer ultimately would align with the majority of us here in this room, right? Like at the end of the day, and I want to have peace of mind. 
When you lay your head down at night, family, what is it that you truly want? Like, truly. When you lay your, de- when you lay your head down at night, what is it that you truly want? There's no need to spend an entire lifetime searching for hope that is uncertain. So how do we find hope, right, that is assured? How do we find hope that will last? How do we find hope when we find ourselves suffering? How do we find hope that with certainty can offer us peace of mind? How do we find hope that seems lost when death has or is on the verge of taking them from you? Family, we remember Christ. We remember Christ. We remember Christ. We remember that death doesn't have to be a morbid topic for the Christian because hope says, I've defeated it. We remember Christ. Remember that he said, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. I'll provide true peace, not just for your mind, but for your soul. We remember Christ. Remember that hope in our suffering isn't found in something, but it's found in someone. We remember Christ. And we remember the one who made the promise, right? He's faithful to uphold it. Every single time, we remember Christ. We remember God's words through the Apostle Peter's letter, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Fear is gone, right? Hope is sure. Christ is ours forevermore. We remember Christ. Mm. Family, the weight, right? The worries of this world. If you haven't been living long enough, surely they will come. But I'm sure that we all know that they will come in some way, shape, or fashion. There are going to be things that rob you from remembering Christ. But thankfully, it is only but for a moment in comparison to what is promised to all those who believe in him. It's by his wounds and suffering that we are healed. Amen. Isaiah 53 reminds us of that, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement, right, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And so in our vile sin and constant disobedience right towards Christ, Christ still believed that you were worth something. In our sin, Christ still said, right, you're valuable to me. He still said, yes, by grace, I will lay down my life for them. I will lay down my life for you. That's what Christ is proclaiming. And not only that, right, I will rise from the grave for your sake so that you won't have to earn my love, but instead trust what I've done to receive me and all that I offer, not in part, but in full. Brothers and sisters, right now as we have our time, here on earth with tomorrow not promised to us. We decide where to rest our faith and our hope. So with breath in your lungs today, if you're not a believer, man, I pray you choose Christ. 
who's offering you eternal promises. And for the seasoned saints, I pray you remember Christ and you continue to do so with every day that he so graciously gives you. He offers us a seat at the table, family. He offers us a seat at the table of eternity with him for forever. For when we've taken our last breath, we don't have to. We don't have to worry with uncertainty. With whatever trial or pain you're going through, right, know that it isn't his desire to see you suffer without hope, without joy, without assurance, but rather he's using your circumstance to wake you up to the reality of what really matters in this life. Family, hear me clearly. Again, if there's anything that you take from this, know this, right, there is no more sure hope on this earth than Christ Jesus. There's not. There's not. There's no more sure hope on this earth than Jesus himself. Right? And the love he offers us isn't conditional, and his grace is never temporary. When you're connected to Jesus, you're connected to him forever. And what this means is a day will come when you won't have to hope anymore. There'll be a day that's coming where you won't have to, you won't have to hope anymore. When he is Lord over your life, longings and pleas won't be necessary to see Jesus face to face because on that day you actually will. On that day you actually will be seeing him face to face. And this very paradise you've hoped for will be the eternal reality that you'll live in, that we'll live in for all those that are in him. But as for you right now, right from the promises of today he's given us, Jesus with a gentle and compassionate heart is saying to you, I'm well pleased with you. Now go and live that way. I'm pleased with you. Go live that way with sure hope. For what truly matters is who you're putting your hope in. Not what, but who. Is it a change in your circumstance or is it in our hope offering Savior that will fulfill every last one of his promises? Hmm. I pray you choose Christ over a simple change in your circumstance. Establish this inexpressible joy through a faith that's fixated on Christ and his cross in all circumstances. Remember Christ. Remember Christ. And with everything, right? And trust your soul to him, for it's Christ and the promises fulfilled in him that is the steadfast anchor of your soul. Remember Christ and hold fast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in every way, you are and you continue to and you will always be good. I pray that we take Paul's words to heart this morning. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. In this hope that is Christ, in this hope that is both promised and provides assurance for our souls. We thank you for laying it all down on our behalf that we might have this certainty in what is to come in you. So help us to remember you and everything. We love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name. Amen.